Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to what I can offer you as a master coach. I can help you to focus on your why with clarity, uniting your passion with your purpose with a plan to create the life you truly desire. Book a free 20 minute coaching call right now via calendly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson forward slash call and we can take it from there. Today, I am joined by Maria Franzoni. Maria, it is such a pleasure to have you on the show. It's lovely to be with a fellow long-haired person. <laughs> and a fellow big-haired person as well. We are big-haired, aren't we? Oh my goodness, yes. We can break some brushes between us. I was recently at the PSA convention and they had an in-person opportunity. And I didn't realise I was sat right in front of the camera. So there you can see three people. And of course, you probably would have seen maybe 12 if you didn't have my big hair in the way. I, I saw that picture and you're absolutely right. <laughs> Anyway, we're not talking about hair today. We're talking about why. We're talking about what your focus on why is. So let's start with what is it you're doing at the moment, Maria? At the moment, apart from speaking to you about our wonderful hair, um, I'm actually I'm working with speakers, I'm helping them to be more bookable and make more money, I hope. <laughs> that's, the, that's the objective. And is that what they think they're there for? Uh, we I, we clarify the objectives when we work together. So it's sort of one of the first things, you know, I try to understand is where, where are they in their speaking business? Where is it that they want to be? So the objectives do vary. For some, it's actually about making an impact and getting a message out there. For others, it is about turning it into a business and making money and getting more bookings. So they all have different objectives. But the the overarching thing is that they definitely want to get more bookings so that they can achieve whatever it is their overriding objective might be. And what's the market like for speakers right now? Well, at the time of recording, it's hot. It's really great, it, which is wonderful news. Uh, whether it still will be by the time it comes out, I think it will. I think it will. Um, obviously, we've had a bit of a, a, a dip in the market. Um, we all know why. And um, it's really picked up. There's a great appetite for people getting together. You've been to a meeting in person whether it's uh, virtually or in person, but certainly the in-person piece is the one that people really want to be doing as soon as they can. So the market's good, really good. Fees have come back up. It's, it's looking very positive at the moment. And how did you find yourself in the speaking business? Oh my goodness, completely by accident, totally and utterly by accident. I responded to a very cryptic advert. I was ready for a change. Um, and the, the advert basically said, uh, are you able to uh, negotiate and communicate at senior level without being phased? And at that time, I had been a management consultant and sat opposite people much more educated and more senior and more able than myself and telling them what was wrong with their business. So I thought, well, if I can do that, I could talk to anyone. Not realising that I would end up speaking to former presidents and, you know, first man on the moon, Neil Armstrong, you know, my idols and my heroes. Um, but that's, yeah, that was the cryptic advert I answered. That's fascinating. So where was this advert? 
um, I, I can't remember if it was the Times or the Telegraph or the Independent. I don't know. I was, I was gathering all of those papers at the time to look for a, for new work. We used to do that in the old days. We didn't use LinkedIn because we didn't have LinkedIn. So I was using the, the you know, um, the broadsheets to try and find work. Um, and it was in one of those. So what was the actual job? I mean, what was it you went on to do there? I became what's called a speaker consultant, which is basically like an agent. Um, so, and I joined, the company I joined was uh, CSA, Celebrity Speakers, and um, I worked directly for the big boss himself, Alex Crywald, who was amazing, an amazing teacher and an amazing mentor to me. And it's fascinating, isn't it? Because if they'd spun that or written it as being that speaker consultant, they would have been inundated, but they probably thought, let's be crafty. Let's think about what we can do to really whittle those applications right down. Do you know what? I'm not sure because I don't think at that time anybody really knew what a speaker bureau was. It was still quite new in the UK. In the US, certainly they did. Um, but I mean, CSA was one of the first in Europe. Um, they've been going now, I think it's about 40 years. So I'm not sure because I wouldn't have known what that was at all. And Probably I wouldn't have gone for it. <laughs> so it worked differently. But then again, you know, I'm, I'm a bit peculiar, as you know already, Amy. So maybe, maybe it just it resonated for me. It spoke to me. So there was this serendipitous moment there of throwing yourself into, by accident, into a whole sphere of these incredible people and listening to former presidents and people who have been on the moon. I mean, the stories must be phenomenal. And, you know, and that's the thing that's kept me in this industry all these years. This is my longest time in any industry. And um, I've, I've stayed here because the conversations you have, every single conversation you have, whether it's with a speaker or if it's an end client that's booking, you were always stretched and you were learning because you were dealing with la creme de la creme, the, the, the really intellectual people. And I always said that I was breathing rarefied air. It was, it's not real, you know, but that's what you were in all the time. And uh, every now and then I sort of like, had to sort of pinch myself and say, this is not normal, <laughs> you know, to be talking to this level of people. Uh, it's just incredible. It really stretches you. And I'm, I spent all my time trying to keep up. Yeah. In, in being in the PSA, you're walking alongside people from different industries with different experience, with different shares that they want to bring to the stage for different reasons. And as you said right at the beginning, it's not just about being paid. It's about the impact and the message that they're sharing and what then that goes on to create. So what's held your well, this has held your attention throughout that time that you've been working there. But which conversations and for what reasons have really held your attention? I love it when a speaker or a client, I mean, now I'm working with speakers, of course, when they go into detail and they sort of help me to understand where they're at and where they're going and what they want to achieve. And now, of course, I can help them to achieve that with the experience that I've got. So those conversations are wonderful. And if you think about it, if you are um, selling a product that product normally stays the same. When you are selling speakers, which I was doing, that speaker is continually changing and evolving and writing a new book or developing a new speech or going and taking on a new role. And you can't keep up because they, they go faster than you can often keep up with what they're doing. So that's another challenge. There's never a chance to say, I know everything I need to know about anybody that you're dealing with and representing. And I think that was the bit that's always kept me on my toes because you're constantly learning, constantly, constantly, constantly. 
And where you said that it's about the detail of where the speakers are at and what they want to achieve, essentially, it's their purpose you're talking about there. Yeah, I, I hadn't realised that every day I'm, when I speak to somebody, I'm speaking about their why, Amy. And it's only, it's and I, you know, I never reflected on my why until you invited me onto this. And then I realised actually... I, I do have whys. And in fact, I've had more than one throughout my life. So it's been, yeah, it's been very interesting. Yeah. So tell me about those reflections. Oh, goodness gracious. I realised um, that my why has changed. My why changed from from childhood. My why was very different to my why now. And, um, and it's sort of partly as your life evolves, Things become different. Things become important to you, and certainly, having gone through what we've all gone through with COVID, I think a lot of us have reflected on, you know, what's important to us. Um, and I, I had never gone back and analysed what my why was, but it was always there and underlying, and always sort of um, causing, I suppose, what was happening or, or in, instructing what was happening and, and sort of directing me without my realising what it was. Um, and it isn't a huge, big why, as many people have. It's My, my whys are quite modest in reality, but they work for me. <laughs> and I love that. And it's so individual, so personal. So when you're asked to sort of share why you're doing what you're doing, sometimes you haven't had that opportunity to really reflect on it until it's an inexplicit show such as this one where you're like, well, you know, bear it all. Tell us what's going on and what's led you to that decision. And you say modest, but again, you know, modest in your terms, you know, who is it you're comparing it to? I suppose I'm comparing it to the people I see who that I work with, of course, the speakers that I work with who are literally trying to save the world, you know, from the problems of climate change, from the problems of poverty or lack of water, um, you know, or, or flooding and um, people who are trying to help others have work and have a good standard of living. And I, I feel mine's a little bit modest, but I do feel that I'm helping them to achieve their big goals, their big whys. So I suppose in that respect, I'm part of that chain, maybe. And that is such an important role, because without your sort of cog in the whole system, they wouldn't get to these platforms. They wouldn't recognise how to deliver those messages that they've got. They're an expert in their space, and, and that's what you are as well. And you're facilitating all of these incredible people to change, to make effect, to do to make impact on all these people. So yeah, invaluable. Thank you, Amy. This is like therapy. Thank you. <laughs> it kind of is because it's at the core of what you're doing, why you're doing it. How do your values play a part in this? Oh, really important, I think. And again, those have changed as I've, as I've grown older and as I've matured and as I've appreciated, um, I suppose in a way, karma. <laughs> You know, uh, I think if, if you make a mistake, it, you, it comes back and sort of, you know, hits you in the face. Um, I I always want to do the right thing, even if someone's not watching. No one's what even if nobody's watching, I should say, I suppose, because I sleep well at night and I feel good about that. And whether that doing the right thing costs me or not, it just I don't know, maybe it's my Catholic upbringing that I want to do the right thing. And maybe it's my parents that might have instilled that in me. And it's interesting you say about sleeping well at night. There was a particular talk at the recent PSA convention where Heather Townsend was talking about the importance of sleeping well at night and what you're doing and understanding what it is that you have in terms of your work, the balance of what you're doing. And it was something that was very conscious of as a landlord in property about being able to sleep well at night in, in the properties that I was putting out there for people to rent. 
And it's about doing the right thing. This podcast for me is about doing the right thing, showcasing people and giving them the opportunity to share why they're doing what they're doing. And the values are a huge piece of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that comes down to, it does come down to upbringing for me and uh, the great examples that my parents set me. So who else or share with me examples your parents have set for you and also who else has sort of showcased or pioneered or given you some kind of mentoring along the way? Well, so my parents come come from a very strict uh, Italian Catholic background. So I was the first of our family to be born outside of Italy. They they moved here, they met here, and they both moved here individually to have a better life and to give a better life to their children, and uh, because they both had a, a tough time. And the the things that were important to my my parents were. Family, obviously, which is is important. You know, we're all very close. That's a very Italian thing. Um, but my my mother, in particular, um, really instilled in in the two girls because I've got a younger sister in us both this need for independence and for to be able to do whatever you want to do, to not have to be dependent on anybody else for your own success and your own financial um, situation. And that came from my mum. In Italy, you pay to go to school after the age of 14. And my mum was the eldest of three. She had uh, two brothers, two younger brothers. She was very, very bright. But because she was the girl and she was going to get married um, and she she had to learn to cook and sew and all that stuff instead, um, the boys carried on at school and she all of her ambitions were, were lost because she didn't have her education. So my sister and I were pushed <laughs> were pushed to be independent, to study, to to go further. And in fact, I was the first girl in my family to go to higher education. I was the first girl in my family to um, buy my own home, the first to have my own business, my own businesses. Um, and that certainly was my mother in my head driving me. Um, and my sister's also been totally independent as well. Um, so that was the, a big driver when I was younger, really important. So my mum had a huge effect on us. I love that. And often with these voids become your values. And for your mother, she had that drive to do that, to pass on that desire to to not have a codependence on anyone else. And I see it so often, the lack of financial knowledge that exists in relationships. And I'm not just talking about for women, their lack of financial literacy, but for so many people, there is that codependency People aren't aware of their own financial circumstances at all and they don't take control. And I was guilty of that as well. Five years ago, I didn't know much more than other than running a house. And then I started building a property portfolio and running businesses. And now I'm a champion for financial literacy and independence. It's a huge thing to have. I love that. And when I was a child, instead of playing with dolls, I had a little cash register and I had my little notebook where I'd, I'd note down what everything cost and how much money I was making. I'd cash up at the end of the day. <laughs> so it's instilled in me from from very young age. <laughs> well, you're lucky. And I do consider that to be a great skill to have from such an early age, to have that awareness, because it's something that I've instilled with my children. I mean, fortunately, I caught it before it becomes ingrained and becomes a codependency on on parents. And there have been some incredible books written about this. The Millionaire Next Door is one. And about how people can just continue the cycles of rescuing, helicoptering the next generation. And they don't learn to be independent. Mm. 
Yeah, so I owe a lot of thanks to my mother. It's not easy, though, in relationships when you're super independent because you don't need anyone, you see. So that's that's been a challenge. <laughs> so with the speaker's work that you do and being in that environment with all these incredible speakers, has it ever led you to become a speaker in your own right as well? Well, latterly it has in, the, in my new role. And in fact, my very first speech, which I didn't actually tell the person who booked me, was at the PSA in London. Um, it was for John Baker. He'd asked me to talk about showreels and to, to, you know, to deconstruct the perfect showreel. I didn't tell him that was my very first speech. Um, I didn't want him to panic. Um, but having seen so many speakers, I think you sort of pick certain things up. And I'm I'm still learning, you know, I've got a lot to learn as a speaker, um, but I am doing a bit more now, yes. So it uh, only recently. How do you sort of get your message out? What, what platforms do you use? So I use social media. I'm sure that those of you who know me will know that I do. We have our um, email newsletters as well. They're more emails rather than newsletters. Um, I use a lot of video, whether I'm sharing it on you know, social media or in, in emails. Um, I have a podcast. In fact, I host a podcast for a speaker bureau and I host my own podcast. I have a, a TV show, if you like, which is on uh, LinkedIn Live, YouTube and Facebook. I have a Facebook group. Oh, my goodness. It's like a shopping list, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, so there's lots of lots of ways. But my preferred way is to actually talk to people, really, you know, ideally, is, uh, you know, let's have a chat. Let's find out how we can do something together if we can. And it is incredible how the way that we are able to broadcast now has changed. We are able to have, as you described, your own TV show. You're able to do that as an individual instead of having to have a whole production team in needing to have a radio station to broadcast. You can do that from your own home. Absolutely. And actually, I cheat a little bit because I have a co-presenter who's a professional and uh, he does carry me quite a bit, which is great. So, And that's James Taylor. So that's great fun. And it's fun having a co-presenter because you can bounce off each other. And we always have a guest as well. So in reality, I'm doing less than a third. <laughs> and how much does fun play a part in your work? Oh, do you know what? It's much more fun now, I have to be honest. Um when I started in the speaker bureau world, I loved it because I was having wonderful conversations, as I said to you, sort of as I grew the business and it was my own bureau and it got bigger and bigger. I was having fewer of those conversations because I was spending my time managing my people, managing their problems with whatever they happen to be dealing with, dealing with, you know, boring stuff like admin and withholding taxes and which I probably would have enjoyed as a child. But now I don't. Um, and so now with the new the new business I'm back to having those wonderful conversations with people and so I have a lot more fun it is fun it's fun to have those conversations and humor for me is very important so I do like to have a laugh with people um, as much as I can really and what else is important to you Maria oh goodness what else is important um I, th I think at the moment, the most important thing is the success of the people that we're working with. I want everybody that we work with to succeed. So if I feel that we can't help, I, I don't want to, you know, I would rather redirect them. Um, but 
I thrive off other people's success because they come back and tell me that they've succeeded and it's ha we've had an impact and we've helped. So that's really that's really important. And of course, my my partner is really important. And hopefully, we will manage to get married next year because um, we had to postpone our wedding. And my animals are really important. And my family, of course, I should have said family first, shouldn't I? My animals came before the family. That's terrible. So yeah, those are all important. Reminds me of that wonderful book, My Animals and Other Family, which is Claire Balding's take on the Gerald Durrell book, My Family and Other Animals. And it's like, no, it's definitely animals first. Yeah, animals are wonderful. Animal, animals change how you look at life, I think. Yeah, they, they really do. I love my dog and I know you love your dog as well. It's the special relationships you have with a pet. And yet they're more than just a pet, aren't they? It's unconditional love. And I haven't had children, so I haven't I haven't experienced unconditional love apart from from my dog. Complete and utter adoration. It's just the best. <laughs> Brilliant. And we've had no dogs join us now in this conversation. Normally we get interrupted at some point by our furry pets. So we've managed to do that. I've got my fingers crossed here, Amy. <laughs> yeah, maybe I've spoken too soon. So back to the purpose, back to the focus on why. How do you stay focused on your why, Maria? Um... I, I suppose I don't necessarily keep focusing on my why. Um, I focus on my 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 one thing, I suppose, which is my one thing that I want to be doing um, in my business, um, which comes from the why, I suppose, isn't it really? So the problem I've had uh, in the past, and I don't know if you've had it too, I get distracted by shiny objects. Um, I get distracted by what might look like a shortcut and, and then it's not or distracted by what somebody else is doing and what I've had to learn as I've got older and I finally got there is to sort of put the blinkers on and say hang on this is what my business is about uh, you know this is who I, I help and this is how I help them and if it's outside of that I mustn't get distracted and do it and for a while I struggled with it because I was running my bureau and working with speakers on it with the training business and I had to make a, a difficult decision to say which one am I going to go for and if it had been all about financial gain I would have stayed with the bureau but it wasn't it did come down to my why the the, the, the impact I felt I could make and the fact that I feel that I can actually change people's lives by helping them be more successful um, rather than ticking a box for a, a, an event uh, which helps you know, a client at that moment, but they then move on to the next thing. Helping a speaker who's, you know, to pay off their mortgage through speaking is is wonderful. You know, and to have a speaker come back and tell you that, oh, by the way, I paid my mortgage off this year because of your help. That makes me so, that, I mean, that, that makes me, I don't even need to drink if I hear things like that. You know, I'm, it, don't, no alcohol required. <laughs> I love that. And it is a case of the fulfillment piece, the contribution piece that you're getting now that perhaps was not there as much before. Yeah, it was different before. Before it was it was giving my team, you know, they had they had jobs and responsibilities and I felt a bit like they were my family. They were the children I hadn't had, if you liked, although one of them was older than me. But hey, um, and I felt that I was giving them an opportunity to earn and to live a good life and, and have, you know, and uh, but then, of course, it gets to the point where when it is tough um, that you think, oh, hang on a minute, this is really hard. Um, so, yeah, so now it is very much about that contribution that, um, 
yeah, giving giving something back from. But what's lovely, Amy, is that it's not just the experience of my 23 years with, with speaker bureaus and the speaking industry. It goes back further what I'm able to share because I've run my own businesses apart from my bureau. I've also been a management consultant, uh, which was in profit improvement. Um, I've also been in, in sales and marketing. I've been in retail. I've, so I've got all of these things now sort of like come together in one to help the speaker. So it's like a... A, a rounded service that I can give as, a, as opposed to just picking up one piece of the puzzle so I can help them with really with their business and how it fits their lives. And you can't engineer that, can you? That's, as you said, it's evolved over time. It's nearly, it's, I was shocked when I was adding up the numbers. It's nearly 40 years of work, uh, Amy. I, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying that. I can't believe that. Oh, my goodness. 40 years, nearly four decades of work. That's what it is. Wow. Wow. I know. Well, if you had a wedding anniversary to your work, it would be a ruby celebration. So it would be. It would be. And if I'd stayed married to my first husband, I wouldn't be far behind that. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you have the opportunity to get married. You say next year now, would it be 2022? Next September. Yeah. Okay, fabulous. And I know a lot of things have been put on hold. So apart from your wedding and a lot of speaking opportunities, the market was difficult, though, as you said, it was a dip and now it's hot. What's the future for speaking? I think the future for speaking is very positive. I, I don't think we will ever get bored of getting together. And I don't I think there will always be a hunger to do better, a hunger to learn uh, from each other. And um, I think, it, you know, it may be the formats might change. We might use a bit more technology. We might do things slightly differently. Um, but I don't think that things are going to change dramatically. And it's interesting because, of course, when we first got the Internet, um, there was a lot of talk about, you know, the speaking industry would, would change People won't travel anymore. They do. I mean, I think we have to think about our travel and the, and the effect it has on, on the climate uh, much more for sure. But I do think people will start, still want to get together and that will continue. Um, and, you know, with this virtual experience, I think that will also continue because it's incredibly inexpensive um, and it has a, a very big reach. So I think it's positive. I think it's all very positive. And we've been talking about speaking, but more specifically, it's about the sharing of stories, education and entertainment, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So it's all of those really ideally in one, isn't it? And when someone comes to you, is there that moment when you go, oh, my goodness, you are so special? Yeah, it happens. It happens quite often, actually. And I love that. Um, there's been a couple of speakers that I, I heard speak recently and I connect with them and I said, do you know that you've got something incredibly special? And it's often they don't realise what it is because I think the biggest problem for speakers is uh, um, realising what it is about them that is unique and positioning themselves correctly. And often they'll position themselves in a way that they think is right. And then when you ask certain questions and they realise, oh my goodness, I didn't realise that like only two other people in the world have done this. This actually happened to with, with a speaker recently. And it's like, well, well, why aren't you talking about that? And, um, you know, that kind of thing. Or when you really get them to think about who it is that they they look after, that they serve, that they help, who their target audience is, because many speakers make it too wide. And as soon as they go narrow and really understand and go deep, they realise how much they can do and, and how they can talk to them differently. So did I answer your question? I've forgotten the question. <laughs> 
Well, it was all about, you know, what makes someone special? Essentially, what is it? And I know we're all unique and we all have a different contribution that we're going to bring to a space. And that's incredible. And as you say, some people just don't necessarily recognize quite what their gift is. Yeah, I think it's that, you know, Simon Cowell talks about the X factor. And when you've been in a business for long enough, you can see the X factor, Um, you know, I got to the point in the bureau where if somebody sent me a bio, even if I hadn't heard them speak or hadn't seen a video, I could say, right, that's a marketable person and they have this. And then hopefully then it's backed up when you talk to them. But I could sort of you can sort of see it. Um, I can tell when somebody's marketable, when somebody's bookable, when somebody has a message that people are going to want to hear. Um, And that's really crucial because, you know, if you're not relevant to a paying market and you want to get paid, you're not going to be successful. Obviously, if you're speaking because it is for the love of it or sharing the message, it doesn't matter about getting paid. But when you talk about getting paid, it has to be, you have to be relevant. And there's always going to be that Susan Boyle that slips through the net and catches you all by surprise. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love those. And I guess the differentiation that I'm sort of coming around to, it's not about speaking, it's more experts who are speaking. The speaking is the the way of communication, and as you say, you don't necessarily become a professional speaker as a career, but it's the way that you're conveying the particular message that you have that then differentiates you into that field. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and to get to the next level, the next level after expert is that, you know, if you're a visionary and you're sort of you, you're creating a vision in whatever area you're talking about. But yes, certainly we talk about experts. You also have entertainers, which is slightly different, of course. Um, but the the experts who speak, we all have some kind of expertise that hopefully is, is relevant to somebody else and help, will help them. So that original advert, can you negotiate without being phased? Are you often phased and what would phase you? Uh, oh, my goodness. What a good question. Um, sometimes if I can't make a decision, if it's not clear, that really turns me into a sort of like a tailspin. <laughs> that does phase me. If something's not totally clear where it, you could go either way, I am. I do make decisions and I'll take a decision and take a risk. And then if it's wrong, I'll review it. Um, and my team are used to sort of going in one direction slightly and then, oh, hang on, we change it. You know, they're used to that from me. I think that... And the other thing that really phases me, and it happened quite recently, and I didn't realise how angry and upset it would make me, but it does, is if I get blamed for something I haven't done, that absolutely, that sort of like really pushes my buttons. And I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if it comes back to the Catholic guilt, but, you know, I wasn't there. I didn't crucify him. That's not what I'm talking about. But, you know, when somebody blames you for something that you haven't done and, and they just won't listen to reason and won't allow you to defend yourself. So I do feel for people who have been, uh, you know, proven guilty when they're innocent. Yeah, that sense of injustice. So it's knowing whether it's injustice that upsets you more than justice. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, that I'm, you know, I'm not comparing myself to people who have suffered because they're being called guilty or not. It was silly little things that, that, you know, it's the little stuff that tends to drive me insane rather than the big stuff, which is just crazy, right? Anyway, I don't know. I'm definitely a bit peculiar, Amy. Well, you just reminded me, I recorded an episode quite a while ago now. It was one of the first few and it was with Dr. Louise Hewitt, who works on Innocence Project London. And what she does is she's trying to help those who have been imprisoned incorrectly. They were they weren't actually guilty. They they were innocent. 
And yet the system has taken them so far down the process that it's actually very hard to then review it. And it's really difficult working and listening to her stories, some incredible stories, both in the UK and the States, because she's working closely with people over there. But that sense of injustice and just really trying to turn around a legal system that doesn't have anything that, to support these people. And it's a fine line. It's a fine line that the people are treading. You see, that's another person with a wonderful why that, you know, that uh, is doing great work. You see, fantastic. Yeah, and that's it. That's the purpose of this podcast is to showcase people like yourself who are doing the work behind the scenes who may not be shouted about or shouting about what they're doing. But in this case, you know, feel free. This is your opportunity to share what an incredible job you're doing. Amy, I do shout about it because I'm a Leo. I can't help it. It's part of my personality. We, we, we like to get patted on the head and stroked for doing good work. <laughs> I do know very well. My husband's a Leo too. <laughs> Yeah, so no, I, I shout about it with with uh, my my sort of alumni testimonials. I suppose that's how I shout about it, and I shout about people's success, um, and I'm I'm thrilled to shout about their success and to you know to promote them and to keep helping them be successful. So that that I definitely do a lot of shouting in that direction. <laughs> so I'm often asked as a podcast host, who's been my favourite guest? What's my favourite episode? And I say to them. I can't name someone because it's like choosing between your children, okay? But has there been someone that's been a highlight for you or is it the same situation for me to ask you that question? Um, I'm, I'm, I am going to give you a name and the reason I'm going to give you a name is because this person isn't here anymore so nobody can be jealous. Uh, but for me, um, when I joined um, Celebrity Speakers, one of the first questions I was asked by Alex was, who would you like to meet who's on the roster? Who is the person you would dearly like to meet? And so I went off and studied and thought who, you know, studied who was on there. And I said to him, I remember sitting in my parents' front room as a child, watching a black and white television, seeing uh, the moon landing. And I said, I want to meet Neil Armstrong. And he said, make it happen. And I did. I made it happen. And we... We, we had many opportunities. He, he was a Leo, by the way, and he loved little dogs. So we got on like a house on fire. And um, I met him and went for dinner with him as often as I could whenever he was in Europe. And he, I think I was the only, we'll find out, we'll put it out there. Let's see if it's true. I, but I think I was the only speaker consultant, if you like, who he never said no to because I knew what he wanted in terms of speaking engagements. I knew who he wanted to talk to. I knew what he wanted to talk about, what was important to him. And so I only went to him with the right invitations and he never said no to me. Um, and one of the most intelligent people I have ever met. Incredible. Curious. Always curious. Wherever we went, if I booked him at a, you know, if I booked him in Dublin or I booked him in London or I booked him abroad and in Portugal and I used to travel with him, he would always know a lot about, he'd study where he was going and then he'd ask me questions and I'd have no idea. And I think, oh my goodness, humbled, totally humbled by him. Um, he never delivered the same speech twice and he tailored and created something completely unique for every audience. Amazing man. Wow. I'm glad I asked the question. <laughs> Yeah, isn't that incredible? And to always deliver something different to tailor to your audience. I mean, that is the message, isn't it, that you're sharing here is about understanding your audience. 
Yeah, I mean, for Neil, he didn't do very many speeches, so he, he wanted to have at least six weeks to prepare that. So he really worked very hard, and he was a very good writer and a very good um, storyteller, brilliant storyteller. Um, so he always wanted to have time. And I'll tell you what I admired about him as well, because there are a lot of speakers, when they get to a certain level, won't do their own briefing calls um, with a client. Neil came on every single briefing call and spoke to that client. And I used to say in my bureau, listen, if Neil Armstrong can do it, you can do it. You know, don't put your secretary on or your assistant on. Yes, they can come and they support, but you've got to speak to the client, especially when they're paying a lot of money. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great example to sort of illustrate there because you've got somebody who's literally left the planet, left the planet and have a different perspective on life. Why wouldn't you take what he has to say as a great example and step into his shoes and follow what he had to say? So, wow, incredible. Thank you. And you made it happen and several times. Yeah, no, it was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And actually, one of my colleagues, uh, my former colleagues who now runs London Speaker Bureau uh, Dublin, when I first met her, I met her at a dinner. I thought I said to her, I think you'd be great at this job. She used to work in conferences. It's uh, Her name's Mary Menton. And I said to her, why don't you come to one of the conferences with me one day just to see what kind of speakers we work with? And I didn't tell her who it was. And I took her to see Neil and to meet him and shake his hand. And uh, that was it. <laughs> You brokered the deal. It was done. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know how to negotiate, don't you, Maria? <laughs> At senior level, right? <laughs> it doesn't get more senior than that. Maria, it's been incredible hearing why you do what you do. Thank you so much for sharing all of your whys and how they've evolved over the years. How would people get in contact with you now, Maria? Well, I love LinkedIn, so please contact me on LinkedIn. Um, you can also come to me um, on my website, mariafranzoni.com. Um, so either of those would be great. Fantastic. I'll make sure they all go into the show notes. Thank you again, Maria, so much for coming on Focus on Why. Do you have some final words for the audience, please? Words of wisdom. Oh, my goodness. Um, I was given a brilliant piece of advice by a speaker uh, many years ago, um, Phil Hesketh, who is um, an expert in influence and persuasion. He's also an incredibly funny man, one of my favourite speakers. He's hilarious. Oh, I'm going to have a lot of problems. They're going to be writing in now, the jealous ones. Never mind. Um, and he said something very clever. He said, the most successful people and the most successful businesses do what they say they're going to do. And it's just genius advice. Do what you say you're going to do. Thank you for listening to Focus on Why with me, Amy Rowlandson. To show your appreciation and to help other listeners understand what value you have received from tuning in today, please leave me an Apple Podcasts five-star review. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the inspiring, uplifting and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.